We'll have fellowship time after church. Not now. Just a little hi, hello. Got to run through a little, a uh, few of the announcements and a uh, new video system. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us kind of take further steps, of course. But also, uh, it also means we can get back to a little more normality. I told Kevin this morning he could start doing announcements again, like we used to, reading Psalms, having a memory verse, all these things that we got away from uh, because of the last year and a half of this life that we have found ourselves in. So this coming Wednesday, looking at Genesis 31 and 32, titled it Returning to the Promised Land. And Jacob fed up with Uncle Laban, his father-in-law. It's even worse. It's your uncle and your father-in-law. He decides to go back home. And there's some great things in here. When I was 17 years old, I bought Lily and myself, I guess, a gift. She had a locket. I had a keychain that it was the Mizpah. The Lord watched between you and me when we are apart from one another. And the locket, her locket, and my little emblem on the keychain would go together. They become one. And uh, that is not a lover's uh, saying in the Bible. It is Jacob and Laban saying, look, if you come back over here, I'm going to kill you. And it was actually a, a saying of anger. Look, you're leaving now, and God said, I can't touch you, but if you ever return, it's a beautiful little verse of Scripture totally taken out of context uh, from where it came from. And so in this journey, returning back to the promised land, he would not only have to deal with leaving uncle, father-in-law Laban, but also returning to his brother who had pledged to kill him 20 years earlier. And so in this journey, Jacob will receive the name Israel from God. He is going to have a life-transforming moment that will change him where he will learn to walk as a man governed by God. And that's what we all should hope to desire, to walk as men and women who are governed by God. So we begin looking at that in Genesis 31 and 32 this coming Wednesday. Hey, we're going to start Sunday school again. It's been a while, and I got a long little blurb in there. You can read about it, but... There's a couple of things for Sunday morning for the children, but also Wednesday evening. It's in the bulletin, but there are the families connected to family camp who do not normally attend our church, but they come to family camp. And they're beginning to bring their youth and their children on Wednesday evenings. Problem is a one-room schoolhouse doesn't quite cut it on Wednesday evenings going from the very young to uh, high school kids. And so we could use some help in children's ministry, both on Sundays and Wednesdays. Again, uh, talk to Miss Linda if you'd like to help on Sunday. Pastor Kevin, if you'd like to help and assist on Wednesday evenings. I believe our uh, portable baptistry has been shipped, so it should be on its way. And we will schedule that baptism as soon as uh, we can get everything together there. Potluck next Sunday, so please bring a dish to pass. An October potluck theme, soups and fall salads. You can figure out the fall salads. I had to ask Lily about that. But I understand soups. So 
things you would like to eat in the fall. It, it like was on time, October 22nd, the first day of fall, and temperature just like plummeted. It's like, yep, it is. It's the first day of fall, even though it's going to warm up a bit today. Ladies, the women's retreat I have in the bulletin. Today's the last day to sign up. And uh, if you're still kind of pondering it, I got an email after we printed the bulletin saying you have until Wednesday, the 29th. So today is the last day to sign up unless you can't quite decide you have until Wednesday for that sign up. The information's there in your bulletin. I'm going to go ahead and um, ask God to bless the teaching of the word, but also bless the offering that we receive in such a variety of ways uh, today in the church. We have an agape box for those who uh, would like to give an offering to the Lord here at the church. Uh, people mail them today from their bank, directly from the bank to our P.O. box or to the address here at the church. People do direct deposits today. So there's a variety of ways that you can support this ministry, and people are doing it in about mainly about four different ways. But if you'd like to find out information, if you're listening on the radio or watching online, you can go to cclv.org, and you can find out information about leaving prayer requests, about donating to our ministry, or just find out more information about our fellowship there at cclv.org. And I would like to pray for the gifts given to our fellowship this day or throughout the week. But again, that we would use them for God's glory and ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning. So, Father, we come to you. And it has been uh, such uh, an eventful year and a half plus now in our nation, but especially, Lord, in the churches throughout the world. And, Lord, here at our church, we have seen you bring provision that has really surprised us in so many ways, and we're so thankful. You've allowed us to accomplish many things that we thought were beyond our reach. Even this new camera system, Lord, you have provided everything for us. And you have promised to do that, Lord. Sometimes, Lord, we have to wait upon that provision. Other times, Lord, you pour out blessings so much so that uh, we have a hard time keeping up with that which you pour out toward us. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless this ministry. Help us, Lord, to use the gifts given here for your glory, for the work that you've called us to. Also, Lord, help us together as a church to be a people that desire to live for your glory in these last days. And, Father, we ask now that you would bless the teaching of your word, that you would, Lord, give us a greater understanding of the events that are prophesied still yet to come upon this earth. Give us a greater understanding that we might, Lord, be prepared and desire to shine brightly for you. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So today we're looking at Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14. And at this point in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the seventh trumpet has sounded. This also um, coincides with the third woe 
So there's seven trumpet blasts and three woes. And the last three woes coinciding with trumpets five, six, and seven. And so the seventh trumpet blast actually introducing the seven bold judgments. And we'll get to that when we get to chapter 16 and the seven bold judgments. But the seven bold judgments are the final judgments that the Lord will send upon this earth. And before John tells us about the bold judgments, he teaches us here in chapter 14 about two final harvests. So I titled this not from the book of Revelation, but actually uh, drew the title uh, from the Gospels, where Jesus proclaimed that the Son of Man is the Lord of the harvest. And we're going to see that Jesus is one who is directing the harvest here in chapter 14. So I titled this, The Lord of the Harvest. Revelation 14, we're going to see the redeemed from the earth in verses 1 through 5. Angels and saints, verses 6 through 13. And the harvest of the just and the unjust in verses 14 through 20. I want to go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 3 and introduce us. Our first point is the redeemed from the earth, verses 1 through 5. But in verses 1 through 3, we have our first uh, subheading there, the song of the 144,000. So John wrote to us, he said, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. So here we find the song of the 144,000. In chapter 7, we were introduced to the 144,000 just to give us a a summary of what we have learned so far. In chapter 7, I'm going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. But we find that there were four angels who stood ready at the four corners of the earth. And the Bible tells us to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And as they stood ready, another angel said to them, verse 3, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, Till we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. And upon seeing these things, John explained, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Revelation 7, 4. If you continue on in Revelation chapter 7 and begin, continue on in verse 5, it, it lists out from the tribes of Israel uh, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah. It just lists out and goes through the 12 tribes there. But note, they are from the tribes of Israel. And here in chapter 14, we are given a little bit more information about the 144,000. They have the seal of God upon their forehead. We find that the 144,000 are with the Lamb 
standing on Mount Zion. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. The Bible tells us, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the offering of Abel. You have come, it tells us here, Mount Zion, spiritually speaking, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where both angels and saints gather together to worship. And included in these saints is this special group of the 144,000. We also notice that they have the name of the Lamb's Father upon their forehead. Now, last week we learned about the mark of the beast. We'll see it again here in chapter 14. The mark of the beast, that number of the beast, the number of the man, 666, either on the forehead or on the back of the right hand. And Satan always trying to counterfeit God. Here we find individuals that have the name of the Father on their foreheads. Regarding the name of God, God actually revealed his name to Moses when Moses was on the holy mountain. And he was being called by God and Moses really didn't want to go back to Egypt. He'd been gone for 40 years. He said, I've had enough of that place. And besides, I'm 80 years old. Can't you get someone else? And so Moses begins to kind of give reasons why he should send someone else. Uh, He gave excuses like, I stutter. And God said, well, I'll put the words in your mouth. I'll give you the words to say. I'm too old. Basically, he didn't want to go. But one of the things he asked, when I go back and the children of Israel asked concerning God, what is his name? Well, he responded with the name, well, we don't know. All we have in Scripture in the Old Testament is YHWH. The Jews so reverence the name of God that they never spoke it. And perhaps because they didn't want to break the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. If you don't name know his name, how can you take it in vain? So it was never spoken, isn't to this day, if you read any Orthodox Jew writing, even the unorthodox, when they write the name of God, if they write it in English, they'll put a line, a dash, underscore, where the zero O should be, not the zero, but as we would spell God, G-O-D, they spell it D underscore G underscore D. Um, I don't know how to spell it today. But all we have is Y-H-W-H. No vowel sound. So we can't rightly pronounce the name of God. Two renderings, possibly Jehovah or Yahweh. And I think we get close with Yahweh in the sense. And we find this in Psalm 68.4. It's also found three times in Isaiah 12.2, 
Isaiah 26.4 and Isaiah 38.11, where by his name, Yah, and there is a vowel sound actually in this one. So I'll read it from Psalm 68.4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. And so we have a perhaps Y. A H, but we still can't fill in the rest of it. But scripture gives us a little hint here. I think of this by his name, Yah. And uh, I had a very aggressive Jehovah's Witness call the church once trying to convert your preacher. It wasn't going to happen. And I said, besides, you guys don't even pronounce Yahweh correctly. It doesn't begin with a J. It begins with a Y. He goes, how do you know that? And I said, because Psalm 68.4 says, by his name, Yah. And he looked it up in his Bible and he said, by his name, Jah. They had a J in there. And he goes, I've never seen that before. It's like, man, I gave him fuel for his fight when I meant to actually uh, contend a little bit with him. But he was very aggressive. So um, I did not convert him. He did not convert me. But we kind of honed in on the name. We don't know the name, but the name of the Father is written on the foreheads of the 144,000. The 144,000 sing a new song, which only they can sing. So it appears, as we've been going through the revelation of Jesus Christ, it appears that both angels, the elders, the cherubim and the redeemed of the Lord. We all have our own song to sing as we've discovered thus far. And I'm not going to mention every single song, but we do learn back in Revelation 4, 8 of the four living creatures singing, holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. The 24 elders in Revelation 4.11, they cried out, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, we find the song of the church as the church is singing, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And we also find that in heaven there will be these times where all heaven erupts in worship. Revelation 5.13. A great example of this where John says, And every creature who is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all those who are in them. I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. It appears that in heaven, we will each have our own song to sing. As for me. I am planning on singing the song of the church, the song of the redeemed of the Lord. What song do you plan to sing? So in verses 4 and 5, I love how this is worded here. 
and it's concerning those who follow the Lamb, the 144,000. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In these verses, we are given a little more detail about the 144,000. The 144,000 will be male virgins. Now, I found this interesting because as I was writing that line out, I thought myself, thinking of the Bible, thinking, do we read anywhere else in Scripture where they use the word virgins connected to guys? And uh, we don't. 65 times where the word virgin or virgins is used in the Bible This is the only place in Scripture where it is actually referring to men. Of the remaining 64 times, it speaks about a virgin girl or woman, the children of Israel, or that of the virgin bride of Christ, his church. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11:2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So unique, the 144,000, they are male. Again, Jehovah's Witness claiming to be the 144,000, or at least having the group, uh, they outgrew 144,000, so they had to rewrite some things. Oh, this doesn't work anymore. We're bigger than 144,000. What a shame that they got bigger than that. But they outgrew it, so they had to rewrite it. But they don't, I mean, the 144,000, so many things wrong with the cult, the Jehovah's Witness. They come from the tribe of Israel. You can't tell me that all those that they claim are part of the 144,000 are Israeli. Uh, There's so many things wrong, but also the 144,000, are they merely men they're talking about? Here in Scripture, that's what it's talking about. We also find, and I love this, the 144,000 will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And every time I read this, um, it made me think of the nursery rhyme. You're thinking of it now too, right? Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. You know the nursery rhyme. There's a big difference here though. In the nursery rhyme, the lamb is following Mary wherever she goes. But here in Scripture, the 144,000 are the ones following the lamb wherever he goes. And it's because in John 1:29 it tells us the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Why do they follow Jesus wherever he goes? Because Jesus takes away the sin of the world. Why should we follow Jesus? Because he takes away the sin of the world and those who come to faith in Jesus Christ will find that they have been washed whiter than snow through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Once again, the 144,000 will be the redeemed from among men, the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Like the church, the 144,000 are the redeemed of the Lord, yet As the first fruits of the coming tribulation, 
They are merely uh, a smaller portion of the greater number that will be redeemed in the last days. John writes about the redeemed there in heaven during the tribulation where he says in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, and also 13 and 14. I'm just going to group those together. Revelation 7, 9 and 10, and also 13 and 14. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And so John said to him, Sir, you know. So John said, I don't know, but you know. Tell me. And so the elder responded, verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So this great multitude of Revelation chapter seven coming from all nations, all tribes, peoples and tongues, those who have been redeemed coming out of the great tribulation the 144,000, the first fruits of this great coming harvest that is still yet to come upon this earth. I know as the church, I want to see the Lord do a great harvest upon this earth prior to the rapture of the church. I would love to see a revival. In fact, I believe right now the only thing that could stay the hand of the path of the world that we're in right now would be a revival. I believe it was what changed the path 1960s and 70s when there was such upheaval in our world. There were wars going on coming out of the Korean War in the 50s and then into the war in Vietnam and other skirmishes going on there. The hippies being just fed up with it and peace and love and and just trying to break the bonds of their family and just actually trying to find nirvana coming to that place where they believed that it could be discovered through drugs. Where God used, and partly because the Calvary chapels are here today, where God used a church out in Southern California in Costa Mesa to begin to reach out to the hippies, where thousands began to come to that church, where they were baptizing thousands. Do you know this past year, a different Calvary Chapel out in California has been baptizing thousands once again? God is moving in our days. But I believe that by the Lord winning the heart of not all the hippies, of course, but so many of them that revival broke out in our land that the Lord stayed the hand of the evil one for a while. But now we're right back to that place. We've had wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, skirmishes in other parts of our world. 
And we have a place where children are trying to break out, break away from their families, break away from the things that they've learned, even break away from uh, this country that we have here in the United States have been raised in. And I believe the only thing that could stay the hand of the course, the path of this world right now would be the Lord to send revival. And Lord, please send revival. One more thing that he says of the 144,000. They do not speak a deceitful word, nor is there found any fault before God. It's clear, according to the word of God, the 144,000 are a special class of those who are of the Lord's redeemed there in the last days. However, as believers in Jesus Christ, as the redeemed of the Lord, we also can be found, we will be found as the redeemed of the Lord, we will be found faultless before the throne of God. Whether talking about the 144,000, the tribulation saints, the redeemed of the church age, we all find common ground through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Jude 24 and 25, a one-chapter book in the Bible, verses 24 and 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to our God and Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. For him who keeps you and is able to present you faultless before the throne of God. It is only through faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that we can be found faultless before the throne of God. In verses 6 through 13, we find the angels and also the saints being introduced to us here. In verses 6 and 7, we're introduced to an angel. It tells us, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Often when dealing with skeptics, of the Bible, we might find some of them who will be very concerned without that, uh, with that individual who perhaps in the jungles of South America or over in Africa or in India or in China today or in other parts of the world, anywhere in the world, where they might ask, what about those who never hear the gospel? How can God condemn them as unbelievers? I've always taken comfort in something that I heard Pastor Chuck say often from his pulpit at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Although Pastor Chuck went to be with the Lord in 2013, his words still minister to me to this day. And this is not just about those who perhaps never hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, but in several 
instances in our lives when troubling or hard or difficult circumstances come upon us, even as believers, Pastor Chuck, he would often say, whenever you come up against something that you don't know, fall back on what you do know, that God is love. And I know that God is fair. I know that God is righteous in his judgments. In other words, we can trust that God will always do what is right in every situation. The point I wanted to get to there is Pastor Chuck saying that I know that God is righteous in his judgments, causing us to trust that God will do what is right in every situation. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And for the last 2,000 years, the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone forth through his church being proclaimed by the body of Christ. But also, if you have paid attention to uh, some of the things going on in countries like Iran, India, Afghanistan, in predominantly Muslim countries, maybe uh, Sudan, there where people have been for the last maybe 10 years or more, but I hear reports of people having dreams, having dreams and being directed in their dreams to a certain place, to a certain person, or having a vision of Jesus Christ himself where people can't go forth and preach and proclaim physically, where the church isn't allowed to present the gospel, the Lord through his spirit is seeing that people are being saved. Why is this? Well, because I know that God is love. I know that God is fair. I know that God is righteous in his judgments. What we cannot do, perhaps... In the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ will see it done. In fact, Paul would write in Acts 14, 17, he said concerning God, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Paul would argue that merely the provision that we have in this world should cause people to look up and know that there is a good God that watches over this earth. Of course, the world that we live in today, here in the United States, largely rejecting God. And I tell you that we have a grave danger here in the United States that it is, if it is not corrected, we are heading right now down a path that is only going to get worse. I am talking about the million plus people who continue to come into our country. And they're coming from all points. And here's my concern. This has been kind of rolling around in my head. And I'm putting some things together that not only... Are they wanting to change the demographics of the United States? 
But we are coming to a place to where we are becoming more like what has been happening in Europe, where a lot of their immigration has come from Muslim countries who are outnumbering the Europeans, but also bringing a different religion. So they're turning Europe from a religion that's largely was Christian and now not really believing in Christ at all. The, and we find it happening here in the United States as well. There's a church not too far from here that uh, by name had Calvary in their title, and now they are no longer a church serving the Christian community, but now have an Islamic title for their building's name. And the building looks really run down right now. I just drove by it this week. And that's, that's another topic. But here's the thing. Here in the United States, for so many years, the immigration, whether legal or illegal, has come from South America or Central America, which is largely very Catholic. So we've had this influx of people who tend to outnumber us just by the number of children that they have. But they're a Christian largely in faith. But over this year, here in 2021, we've had this influx over the last couple of months, right? Afghanistan, a number of people coming in, not Christian faith. In fact, for the most part, it seems that the United States abandoned the Christians and bringing in more from the Islamic faith. Over the last few weeks, Haitians coming in. Do you know that Haiti was sold out to the devil many years ago? They practice voodoo there. So here we have those from Islam coming into our country, changing the demographics and the number of people, but also now those who do not even believe, but more uh, tainted toward satanic worship coming from Haiti. I don't know what this is all going to bring, but it's changing the demographics of our country. We have universities that preach and teach, and they preach it, that there is no God, and we're raising a generation that does not believe in God, and we're bringing in people that worship Satan. We're bringing in people that worship other gods. And unless the Lord sends a revival to change the hearts of those who are in our nation and those who are coming to our nation, what hope would we have? But we find that at the end times, one last final opportunity is given for people to follow Jesus. And it's called the everlasting gospel. And this gospel is actually proclaimed by an angel who speaks this gospel. The angel speaking the words of the gospel. In verse 7, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Paul explained in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between man and God. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. The basic points of the angel's message, he begins, he said, fear God. 
Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The second point of his message, give glory to God. Jeremiah 13, 16 says, Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness, before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. While you're looking for the light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it a dense darkness. Give glory to God. In other words, give glory to God before it's too late. The third point of his message, worship God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the fresh waters. In Acts 14, verses 14 and 15, during Paul's first missionary journey, when Barnabas and Paul, it tells us while they were in Lystra, they heard these things, they tore their clothes. What was happening is that the people were attempting to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they responded by tearing their clothes in disgrace and disgust, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that are in them. That is our hope to this day, that we should Turn from these useless things to the living God, he who has created the heavens and the earth. At the end of the tribulation, time will be running out for people to fear God, to give glory to his name and to worship he who created the heavens and the earth. And then we're introduced to a second angel in verse eight. It says, and another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So in the Bible, the Bible talks about Babylon, often speaking about it as a false religious system or a a spiritual or economic system that's found in our world today. And this can be traced back all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. That's why the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis are so important for us to understand. It's connected to the Tower of Babel of old. And we're going to read a little bit more about Babylon in Revelation uh, chapter 17 and 18. But we'll learn of two Babylons, the religious Babylon and the economic Babylon. But here we're given the reason why Babylon falls. Because she will make all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In Jeremiah 51 verse 7, Jeremiah wrote, Babylon is a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. That word deranged, I think about it in the current circumstances that we find ourselves in. It seems that there are a lot of deranged people right now, doesn't it? They're just like, man, what are you thinking? Well, they're drinking. They're drinking from the wrong cup is the problem. 
and mentally their minds are being scarred with the ways of this world. That of spiritual Babylon, we might say. Revelation 18, 2 and 3, just a little preview of what's coming. And he cried out with a loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. <clears throat> the merchants of the earth. Amazon, Walmart. Who's done well over the last year and a half? The big corporations. Whether the physical city of Babylon, we're going to talk more about Babylon when we get to chapters 17 and 18. Today it doesn't physically exist. And we'll talk more about that later. Whether it's actually rebuilt, it was attempted uh, to be rebuilt, but our war in Iraq kind of killed that for a while. Whether it will physically be rebuilt in the last days, or just merely speaking about spiritual Babylon, it continues to exist in our world today. And the third angel, verses 9 through 11. The Bible tells us the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength, into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. A third angel coming, saying, If anyone drinks of this cup, worship his, worships the beast, his image, or takes the mark on his forehead or on his right hand, those who do so will find that the full wrath of God's indignation will be poured out upon them in full strength. I'm kind of a, Lily and I, we, we like coffee. And uh, sometimes we actually might be described coffee snobs by the beings that we buy. But the only thing that prevents me from going full on is the fact that I don't like to pay too much. I like a coffee bean that our son's island out in, he doesn't own the island, he lives there in Kauai, in Hawaii, but uh, they have the Kauai coffee that comes, and they have a pea berry coffee. It's a coffee bean that's round and not flat on one side. It's really good. But I just, I can't pay like 40 bucks for what they're wanting. They're wanting a lot. I think their most expensive coffee is like $150 for 12 ounces. Never going to go there. But on the weekend, I normally make a French press. So I brew our coffee different on the weekend. It's a celebration. Hey, it's Saturday. It's Sunday. But you never want to drink it to the last drop because the French press allows all those grounds to come through. So if you like chewing on your coffee, drink it down. But those 
here with this third angel, his announcements, those who worship the beast, worship his image or receive the mark, they're going to drink it down. And it's going to be horrific. Revelation 19, 20 and 21 says, Then the beast was captured with the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, those who worshiped the image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. In taking the mark of the beast, worshiping his image, people will knowingly reject God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. I do not believe that we will accidentally get the mark of the beast on our forehead or on the back of our right hand, even if it's a medical device that we get implanted in the future or something like that. It's more than just that. It's not the uh, tracking codes that we have everywhere today in stores, uh, tracking items that's being delivered. It's none of that stuff. It is knowing what you are doing. You are bowing down. You are worshiping. You are willingly receiving this mark. But of the saints, I said angels and saints, we've been introduced to three different angels and the circumstances that follow with each introduction of the angel. But in verses 12 and 13, we're introduced to the saints. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Of the saints, we have it described as the patience of the saints. They keep the commandments of God. They keep the commandments of God. Paul wrote to us in Galatians 3.24 that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ Jesus. But once we come to Christ, it doesn't mean that we neglect the law. We strive to walk in righteousness before the Lord. They also not only keep the commandments of God, but the faith of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans 10.17, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As it is now, so it will be in the tribulation. Those who are saved must believe in Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, whether during the tribulation period or not. Those who put their faith in Jesus and strive to walk in his ways, after we die physically upon this earth, we will find rest from our labors and receive the rewards that will follow. 2 Timothy 4 7 and 8, Paul would write his last epistle to the church, writing actually to Timothy, saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. And may it be that we would be those who learn to walk in the patience of the saints. And finally, verses 14 through 20, we find the harvest of the just and the unjust. They begin with the harvest of the just, verses 14 through 16. And John wrote, I looked and behold, a white cloud. 
And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. One who sat on a white cloud, one who was as the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head, in his hand a sharp sickle. It's harvest time. The final harvest during the Great Tribulation. First, the final harvest is that of the faithful, those who trust in Jesus Christ. One day Jesus Christ will reap a final harvest upon this earth. In the parable of the wheat and tares, Jesus told of an enemy who comes into this man's fields and by night they sow tares into the field. When it was realized what had happened, the laborers came to the master and said, should we go out and pull up the tares? And he said, no, leave them because you might damage the wheat. Let them grow together and then at the harvest, we will separate the two and the wheat will be brought into the barns. The tares will be burned up with fire. Matthew 13, 30, he says, first gather together the tares, bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In verses 14 through 16, this properly speaks about the harvest of the tribulation saints who will believe in Jesus. Nevertheless, as it was in Jesus's day, as it is in our day, as it will be in the great tribulation. The earth is right now ripe for the harvest. Jesus said in his day to his disciples in John 4:35, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Jesus there with his disciples talking about the Samaritans coming out to meet him. There in John chapter 4 with the woman by the well, as the Lord brings this woman to faith and she goes back to tell the men of the city, the Lord, there's a guy, he's the Messiah, he's told me everything I've ever done. She had five husbands and was currently living with a guy and I'm just thinking that maybe that's, not what you want to hear from someone because you were probably guilty of some of the sins that she had committed, perhaps committing them with her. And yet the city showed up and Jesus said to his disciples as they were coming out, the field is already white unto harvest. Know this, in the Greek, that word that speaks about white to harvest speaks about Fruit that is, if it is not picked in a timely fashion, it will rot where it's at. It's ripe unto harvest. If it's not harvested, it will rot on the vines, on the trees, in the fields. So John says another angel came out from the altar. An angel who had power over fire. This might speak of the 
judgment of God, but he cried out to the other angel who was on the cloud, actually Jesus sitting on the white cloud with the sharp sickle, with the crown on his head, and the cluster of the vine and her grapes to reap the harvest. In this final harvest in verses 17 through 20, another angel came out of the temple, which he had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar. He had the power of fire. He cried out with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle. Thrust your sharp sickle. Gather the cluster of the vine of the earth and the grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. The blood came out of the winepress up to a horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. In verses 14 through 16, we had the harvest of the just. Here in 17 through 20, the harvest of the unjust. This other angel coming out from the temple of God, from the altar of God, having power over fire, might speak about the judgment of God. This angel cried out to another angel, having a sharp sickle, telling him to harvest the earth. The cluster of the vines, the grapes, they are fully ripe. It's time. It's harvest time. The last harvest of the earth, both of the just and the unjust. And here the unjust are put in the winepress of God's wrath. And so great was the blood that came out of this. This is kind of amazing to think about. Coming up to horse's bridle, I'm thinking about three feet. But the furlongs that's mentioned there, 1,600 furlongs, that would talk about 108 miles. It will be horrific. But Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are two final harvests coming upon this earth, the harvest of the just and that of the unjust. Pray that you would be part of the harvest of the just. I think this kind of fit in as we close out. You can stand and we'll prepare to read our scripture here as we close out. But Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14. This is not in your notes, by the way, but it's the last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including the secret things, whether good or evil. Solomon wrapped it all up, basically saying two things that we need to do. Now, he did not know. He knew the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, but the Messiah at this point had not come. And so the conclusion of all the matter for Solomon in his days was this. Fear God, keep his commandments. Here in the book of Revelation, we not only learned of the fear of God, but also the keeping of the commandments, but the faith of Jesus. 
that faith in Jesus Christ is necessary for those who want to be saved. It is my hope that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a church motto of believe, receive, grow, and go. And we're going to work our way through this church motto right now. The belief speaks about the necessity of believing that God exists. As we say together, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. There are so many in our nation today that no longer believe that God is. But it begins there. We have to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. His son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. And we say together, Romans 5:17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5:17. You have to receive. God's abundance of grace comes through receiving Jesus Christ the gift of righteousness. But once saved, it's not uh, like purchasing insurance, health insurance or uh, life insurance, just in case you might need it one day. It's about growing in our faith as well, learning about Jesus, learning how to walk in our faith. So we need to grow. And we say together, 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18. And then we need to go. As the Lord said, and we say together, Matthew 28:19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you're here today and you have questions regarding faith or have a prayer need, please talk to myself, talk to Pastor Kevin. There's others here in the church that you might be comfortable talking with as well. We are available for you. If you're listening on the radio or watching through social media, please go to our church's webpage. Uh, You can find out information there at cclv.org. And you can submit a prayer request. You can email us, email the pastor, myself or Pastor Kevin. Or you can simply email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer, and we'll close out in a final song of worship. So, Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us here in Revelation chapter 14. A lot that will be going on in heaven and here on this earth. But these, Lord, are things that are of the future. And, Lord, as we see the condition of our world right now, 
It might be very well the near future. So I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us as individuals, that we would be those who strive to keep the commandments of God and walk in the patience of the saints and walk in the faith of Jesus Christ, that we would be those that know you as Savior. And Lord, I pray for our world, that we would see a revival upon this land, that there would be a great harvest. We've read, Lord, that in the last days there will be a great harvest and that even an angel will proclaim the gospel. Lord, help us not wait until the angel has to proclaim the gospel. Let us be willing to be those who will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. It is our prayer. It is our desire. This day we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.